When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It's May the 1st, 2023. The Orioles are 19-9. It is now the third best 28-game start in Orioles history, behind only the 1969 and 1970 Orioles, each of whom went 20-8 through their first 28 games. Pretty good things those two Orioles teams went on to, I guess. Well, you know, let's cross our fingers that the 2023 Orioles have such grand destiny awaiting them. I think there are a few great signs about how much better they're doing this year compared to last year. One way you can look at it is last year through 28 games, the Orioles were 11 and 17. So they've improved by eight wins. And another way you can look at the same record, uh, the same improvement is that last year, the Orioles, when they won their 19th game, they had 27 losses. So it took until their 46th game to win 19 games. And this year, the Orioles managed to do that in 28 games. That's a pretty substantial improvement. Of course, as you know, if you've listened to this podcast, I think that the improvement in April is really one of the key steps for this Orioles team. They just needed to not dig themselves a hole. Not that anyone knew they were going to go anywhere when they dug themselves a hole last April, that it would matter. But now that we know the wins matter, they can't dig a hole like some other teams around the league who maybe had pretensions of contending this year have already done and have probably already revealed they're not going to make it. And of course, one of the key differences, the Orioles, after winning 5-3 to three on Sunday in their series finale in Detroit, that gives them a 6-1 and one record against the Detroit Tigers this season. Of course, they were rather infamously, to me, 1-5 against the Tigers last season. So winning that Tigers series also gives the Orioles a sixth straight series win, which is the first time that has occurred since July to August of 2014. Really remarkable, if you think about it, considering there were some good periods of Orioles baseball in 2015, 16, and 17, even before the bottom fell out of the Dan Duquette era. But no, it was only those 2014 division winners who were able to win six series in a row. That's a good omen, I think. Of course, for the AL East right now, the Orioles remain three and a half games behind the Tampa Bay Rays, who are kind of ridiculous, although they're not absolutely unbeatable, as we saw on Sunday with the White Sox actually scoring seven runs in the ninth inning to walk off against those same Rays. So, you know, they are a team that 
They're still in the single digits in losses, just like the Orioles. They have even fewer, but they can be beaten. And soon enough, the Orioles will get their chances to beat the Rays. And, you know, they'll they'll prove what they've got at that time. Oh, and by the way, in the American League East, the New York Yankees and Boston Red Sox are currently tied for last place. Oh, man, you know, that was fun to say. I'm just going to say it right back. The New York Yankees and Boston Red Sox are currently tied for last place. Yeah, that's a good way to start a Monday morning. Okay, so the Orioles, 5-3 to three winners over the Detroit Tigers on Sunday afternoon. Yenier Cano is doing his thing again. He stretched his hitless streak to, I believe, a now team record 32 straight at-bats in closing a four-out save. He's got his pose that he says he kind of was inspired by uh, longtime Yankees closer Aroldis Chapman, which, you know... Role models, uh, maybe he could choose a little better, but in terms of baseball results, Chapman certainly had plenty of good things going for him, and I think you can understand why Cano, a Cuban native, would probably be inspired by Chapman, another Cuban native. So that's fun. I think that really helps the Orioles with Felix Bautista having some issues with his command and really issues with needing to be used a lot early in the season. It's just really beneficial that the Orioles have out of nowhere unearthed this amazing reliever. I don't know how long he's going to keep it up. Obviously, nobody has opposing batters batting zero against them for the entire season. It's just not done. Sooner or later, he will give up a hit, probably more than one, probably in a game where giving up that hit or more than one will result in the Orioles losing a game that they would have won before he came in. But, you know, there, there's nothing to complain about so far. Cano, I, when they got him in the Jorge Lopez trade last July, I really thought he was just kind of a throw-in guy to make the 40-man roster math even, with Lopez being on the 40-man. And um, so that opened up a spot for the Orioles. And the Twins needed to open up a spot to get Lopez on. So... They could ship over Cano. They didn't have to designate anybody for assignment. I, I just didn't think there was ever going to be much to say about Yenier Cano. And here we are. He's had one episode of this podcast named after him. Another one where I'm just uh, continuing to be amazed by his prowess. I hope there are more Cano praising episodes to come because the Orioles uh, going forward, I think, are going to need him more than they certainly would have and more than any of us, I think, would have realized um, a month or so ago. In that Sunday game, also, by the way, Jorge Mateo got another home run. He's now tied for the team lead with six. Ryan Mountcastle, who's also got six home runs but has been scuffling a lot, picked up two hits in the game. So I guess that we can hope that Mountcastle is maybe starting to turn it around. But yes, here we are, May the 1st, and as Justin Timberlake once sang, it's going to be May. I think that May is going to be where we just figure out whether the Orioles are going to continue to go good places or whether they fall back down to the pack. From May the 5th through May the 28th, every team on the Orioles' schedule is currently above 500. So that's going to be the test. The simple fact is they did not get tested in that way in April for the most part, and... They're not going to get tested that way for the most part in their first series in May, which is against the Kansas City Royals, who are also not very good so far and particularly don't have 
a very good offense. So I guess we're going to be looking to see if some Orioles who've been struggling lately can improve. Adam Frazier has a 571 OPS over the last 15 days in that same stretch. Adley Rutschman and Ryan Mountcastle are also below a 600 OPS. Rutschman, in particular, had a really long stretch of games where he didn't even get an extra base hit, although he did, uh, he did end that streak on over the course of the Tigers series, but there was a while before that where he didn't, and I think that those guys are going to need to improve as the Orioles start to play better teams. Hopefully they can. Of course, they're not the only guys on the team struggling. Dean Kramer and Kyle Bradish managed to struggle even against the bad Detroit Tigers offense. I guess if there's a consolation prize there, it's that maybe if one of those guys needs to be shuffled out of the rotation, um, Cole Irvin, who already got bounced from the rotation back down to Norfolk, is looking so far with Norfolk, although it's only been three starts, like maybe he has at least addressed his command issues that were really plaguing him. Irvin has now walked only one batter in each of his three starts with the Norfolk Tides. So maybe he's going to need to do a little bit more to prove that he's totally fixed his problem. But Kramer and Bradish are going to need to do some more to prove that they still belong in the 2023 rotation as well. Two more guys, I think, who are going to need to continue to prove that they deserve their spots are CNL Perez and Keegan Aiken, which is a bit of a problem because that's two of the lefties in the bullpen right now. So even if you think, okay, it's going to be Dylan Tate and maybe Michael Givens when they return from injury who displaced those players, that leaves you with only Danny Colomb as a lefty in the bullpen, which I don't think the Orioles are going to do. So there's probably going to be more shaking up to the bullpen than we think. Maybe Nick Vespi at Norfolk could be a candidate to be an additional lefty in the bullpen, which would, of course, require even more juggling of the roster. So I guess we'll see, as I say often, what ends up happening about that. I thought one other thing that was interesting about the Detroit Tigers series is it looks like the Orioles are now going to start bringing up prospects in the form of short-term help when they've got a small stretch of games where they think a prospect can help them more than a different guy and then send that guy back down. We had Joey Ortiz join the team for what we now know was just the balance of that Detroit Tigers series. They sent him back down, not even the whole series, because they sent Ortiz back down to the minors on Sunday with the three left-handed starting pitchers having gone against the Orioles in the three previous games and recalled Kyle Stowers from AAA Norfolk. They also used D.L. Hall, the pitching prospect, as the 27th man for the doubleheader in Saturday's game. It's interesting to me because that does seem like a shift in thinking. I guess it makes sense because unlike any previous Orioles team we've seen in the Mike Elias era, the it's early in the season and we also know that the wins and losses do matter. And Elias famously uh, said in one of his early spring trainings, winning is not strategically relevant. And it is now. So that means they will make different decisions um, than they were before. And so that might mean we're going to get prospects for only a few days at a time uh, and then shuffled off for somebody who's more help in the short term. And you know what? I'm okay with that as much as it would be fun to see Ortiz have stayed up. That's just not what the Orioles want to do. I can live with that. We'll see how much Kyle Stowers, I guess, is going to play. It was frustrating to me how little they had him play when they called him up last year. But uh, in Sunday's game, at least, they slotted him right into the cleanup spot in the lineup, 
where the 2023 Orioles could use some help because Orioles cleanup hitters so far this season heading into Sunday's game, their batting line was a 218 average with a 310 on base percentage, 356 slugging percentage. That is not what you want out of your cleanup spot. Only two home runs from the number four spot in the order, and Orioles' number four batters had only driven in nine runs in the 27 games heading into Sunday. So that is pretty freaking bad, and they're going to need something better out of that spot. Eventually, uh, if it's not one of the players who's been getting a spot in the cleanup, I guess it's going to need to be somebody else, and we'll see who's maybe going to be up to that task. I think the other crucial thing about May is at the end of May, it's going to no longer be quite as small of a sample size for struggling Orioles, and so by that time, I think they're going to have to start to make some more, let's say, irrevocable, potentially, decisions about who deserves to be on this team for the rest of the year and who is not pulling their weight enough to um, continue to hang around. If you'd like to send me an email for a question or discussion topic for this show, please email camdencastpod at gmail.com. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. All right, so for the rest of this show, we're going to be talking about our prospect of the day. This is based on the composite top 20 Orioles prospect list that I put together on CamdenChat.com. You can find it there for yourself if you want to spoil who's still to come. It's made up of four national publications and one local uh, Orioles podcast focused on prospects that made Orioles top prospect lists. Put them all together in one average, and here we go. What we have today is number 10, Heston Kerstad, who you could almost write a just a huge book just about his the unusual nature of his prospect journey, but more on that briefly. Kerstad ranked as high as number six on some of the five prospect rankings that I used on my composite, but as low as number 11. In fact, three of the five included Kerstad as the number 11 prospect. I think for the most part, the prospect rankers at the mainstream publications were not either not huge Heston Kerstad fans in the first place because remember, well, not that I think you've forgotten, but Heston Kerstad, when the Orioles drafted him at number two overall in the 2020 draft, was kind of a surprise pick. And then he's also gone through what he's gone through as a prospect where he was not even able to get on the field until partway through the 2022 season due to the combination of the COVID-canceled 2020 minor league season and that seems to have, the, the COVID pandemic seems to have given Kerstad myocarditis, which led to him not being able to play for more than a full year out of fear for his, you know, well-being, literally life or death. They don't want to push him when he was having the myocarditis, so he couldn't even really do anything baseball activity. That's no fault, really, or anything that the Orioles could have predicted before they chose him. And as it turns out, Kerstad uh, does not look as much like a weird pick compared to who everyone, including me, wanted the Orioles to take at the time, then Vanderbilt infielder Austin Martin, who has also not made his way to the AAA level, even though it's now going on three years since he was drafted, ultimately at... uh, number five overall by the Toronto Blue Jays that year. 
and then Martin was subsequently traded to the Twins, and Martin has not gotten to play yet in the 2023 season. So, yeah. So, Kerstad, some people didn't think he was worth taking at number two, which the Orioles went under slot in taking him, and some people just don't really want to make bold proclamations about his activity where last season he destroyed the low-A-level Delmarva and also the Arizona Fall League, but those were areas where he was older than the average player, so maybe it didn't really tell that much. And so I, I think some of the rankers were willing to believe that Kerstad's results at those low or levels where he was old for those levels are indicative of improvement that he will carry forward, but others, they just they weren't willing to do that. So, okay, so MLB Pipeline, which is... Um, one of the outlets that is now a fan of Kerstad more than some of the others, they ranked Kerstad as number 10 in his draft class, which, you know, if you get the number 10 guy at number two, you've maybe reached for a little bit, but I guess the Orioles saw something that they liked and, you know, uh, right now that looks okay. But anyway, MLB Pipeline said about Kerstad, quote, Kerstad's strength and bat speed give him well above average raw power to all fields, He has a complicated swing, so he has to be precise in his timing to make it work. His huge power and solid arm strength fit the profile for right field, end quote. So, you know, that's interesting. I think that probably what the Orioles liked about Kerstad was the power potential. That seems to have been something that Mike Elias valued when he was making that choice compared to some of the other options that were available, including Vanderbilt's Austin Martin and you know what, uh, Heston Kerstad through 20, uh, 18 games in the 2023 season, he's got six home runs at double-A Bowie. He's batting 284 with a 392 on base percentage and a 612 slugging percentage. So I think we're kind of getting to see some of that power potential there. And it looks pretty good for the Orioles to have made that pick now. It's, it's basically been an unprecedented journey for Kerstad. There are, from time to time, pitchers who are prospects who have to miss a lot of time, maybe even, you know, even a guy who gets Tommy John surgery is not going to have as long of a layoff as Kerstad did between the COVID canceled season, the myocarditis in the season after that, and then having a hamstring injury that made him miss the opening months of the 2022 season. There's, they, you know, they, 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 it, there's like nobody that has gone through that, uh, that kind of a long layoff. Certainly not at position players, guys who need to shake off the rust swinging the bat. So I, I'm really just crossing my fingers and hoping for the best for Kerstad. He's done really well so far this year, which I think is very exciting. I am happy to see it because with all he's been through, it certainly feels like he deserves to get a breakthrough. And, you know, being an Orioles fan, I would like it if the Orioles can get some positive outcome from their number two overall pick. It's not great if there are draft busts. Uh, if So it, it will certainly be better for the ongoing Orioles success story if they're able to plug in somebody like Heston Kersad, who had kind of gone to being written off because of his lengthy list of health concerns. And now... He's back. Uh, as I was calling it last year, it was kind of the Heston Kerstad finally arrived tour. And he's he's still arrived in 2023. It's going pretty well, which is why he's now ranked number six in the system by that same MLB pipeline that had him at 10th in the draft. 
So before this season, they said about Kerstad, quote, there's still some swing and miss that might make him power over hit, but he showed a willingness to work counts and take walks as well as the ability to punish the baseball, end quote. That was based on his tenure last year at Delmarva as well as in the Arizona Fall League. So, I mean, you know, that, that's pretty good if you're working counts and taking walks and also punishing the baseball. You're probably going to be able to succeed in the 2020s baseball. So, by the way, Kerstad's numbers with Bowie, that is not fueled by balls in play luck. He's got a 277 batting average on balls in play. So, if anything, he's maybe a little bit unlucky. And although there have been concerns about maybe his swing and miss, so far, his strikeout rate is modest at about 17.7%. And you'd probably want to say somebody's more like um, 50% more than that before you start saying, wow, this guy's got kind of got some strikeout problems or, or even beyond that. And as you may recall from a previous episode, it is into where we can start saying some meaningful things, if not ultimately um, decisive about strikeout rates for batters. So Kerstad, I guess, hopefully can continue to hit the ball hard and not swing and miss terribly often. As far as his future role, I think, frankly, he's going to be coming sometime next year to an outfield corner on the Baltimore Orioles. Um, It kind of looks like on the current trajectory, Anthony Santander is maybe going to play his way out of the organization by, say, the tender deadline at the end of the 2023 baseball calendar. He's only got a 642 OPS so far this season. He's already making $7.4 million due to his uh, advanced years in the arbitration. Next year, that's going to be tapped to be even more. So, well, I mean, of course, who cares if the Orioles have to pay, say, $12 million to a good player, but you don't want to pay $12 million to a player who's bad. And more importantly than that, you don't want to have to commit a roster spot to someone who is not able to pull their weight. And, you know, the Orioles, certainly the way this year is going so far, it looks like uh, six months from now, they're going to have to start thinking, okay, well, these guys have been around and they've been nice enough players through bad years, but who who really is going to be an it guy for when the Orioles are contending. And I feel like chances are at least one of the current Orioles corner outfielders by the end of the year is going to end up playing his way into where he's maybe not. So I think that creates room for Kerstad to step in. And I hope that he is able to continue doing well at Bowie such that he gets himself promoted to Norfolk and then he's only a step away. Um, I, I would be surprised if we see him in 2023, but he does have to be added to the Rule 5, dra- uh, to the 40-man roster, excuse me, to protect him from the coming winter's Rule 5 draft. And at the moment, that sure looks like a no-brainer. And as we saw with Joey Ortiz just in the last few days, once you're on the 40-man roster, you could be along at any time. Thanks for listening today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing on your favorite platform and leaving a rating or review. Or, you know, you can tell a friend or family member. New episodes come out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, so I will see you again on Wednesday unless this problem that is plaguing my voice is even worse on Tuesday night, which I hope it won't be. Between now and then, you can tweet me at CamdenChat on Twitter.
Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's.